This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm from Prague. Hi, I'm Jen, and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Ola Banji, and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki, and I live in Paris. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm from New York. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Olabanji. Hello, I'm Liki. Hi, I'm Jan. Hi, I'm Christina. Hi, I'm Johannes. Today, we're going to have a very beautiful and fun conversation with Johannes. Johannes is the CEO and founder of Trio and Fair Ventures Digital. He went to Indonesia in 1997 as a volunteer to teach carpentry. And based on his experience there, he founded the nonprofit organization Fair Ventures Worldwide in 2012, with which he collected donations to carry out reforestation projects in Indonesia. The devastating consequences of massive deforestation and rainforest and the palm oil industry shocked him early on, and he was always looking for ways to counteract this. In 2018, winning the Google Impact Challenge led to the development of the smartphone app Trio, which was incorporated into Fair Ventures Digital in 2021 as a spin-off. Trio finally opened up the opportunity for scaling carbon dioxide removals, with biodiversity and social benefits. Okay, and just in case that sounded like a lot of English, we're going to get down to it (laughs) and it's going to be fun. (laughs) So welcome, Johannes. It is so, so good to meet you and to have this conversation with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, we, we can start with a bit of a dive. I mean, we like to start from the beginning, so to say. So, um... Part of what was very interesting in the video of you that I saw was how you went to uh, Bonio to teach carpentry. Um, I'll put it in your words to help the people use their best resource, which is the tree. Um, so what, what led you to that part of your life? What were you doing before that point? How did you get there? And um, why, why even engage in that in the first place? Yeah, so I'm a carpenter and a timber engineer. I worked on uh, in a carpentry, so uh, as a timber engineer, and it was my wish to leave Germany together with the family, actually, and to contribute to carpentry education. And I saw there are many places in the world where books are exported only. There is no added value. And... Uh, I asked myself, why should it be like that? So why not adding value at site? So where you harvest, where you cut the trees. Then I applied for a job in development corporation and I got it. And then we moved to central Kalimantan Borneo. Wow. (laughs) That's beautiful. Um, So uh, what was it like in Borneo, you know, engaging and doing work like this? Because... A lot of what has happened in your journey seemed to be, I don't know if, if the word to say is inspired or um, how, how, has, how was your stay in Borneo and you know, what was going on there? How did you feel about it? 
you know, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, imagine when I arrived in Banjamasin, this is South Kalimantan, the capital of South South Kalimantan. So it took us two hours by boat. So wow. um, upstream, there was no road, there was no car, there was no motorcycle. And when I left uh, five years later, there was a road there, there was the internet, there was mobile phone, there was cars, so a bridge. Um, incredible changes within five years' time. And um, this really, really took us in Germany, where I come from, maybe a hundred years for, for, for such changes. And, and there it was in five years' time. It changed so quickly. So, yeah, so it's a very, very uh, fast um, changing world. And uh, most shocking thing was for me to see I lived on a riverside. The river is called Kapuas. It's coming from the north, going south. And uh, every day there was a big ship going south with big locks, thousands of cubic meters from rainforests and uh, upstream a lot of uh, trucks and exuberators. So uh, the tools to cut down the forests and to plant palm oil. And I asked myself as a carpenter, if we don't plant trees in future, so we can stop doing carpentry and we have to um go and do metal works so this was actually at that time already visible to me we have to do tree planting as carpenters we can't just utilize trees from the rainforests yeah um johannes it's amazing to have you here and to have this conversation with you we were talking a little bit earlier and about you know the, this region and we have a lot of listeners from around the world actually and um, maybe you can explain where Borneo is what kind of forests are there because I've been there and I traveled there it's magnificent and so maybe you can walk us through a little bit what was there and what is going on there and um, how bad it is for the environment yeah Borneo was a rainforest in the 1950, nearly 100%. So after World War II then, after the independence of Malaysia and Indonesia, so Borneo is an island and three nations are there. So Malaysia, Brunei and Indonesia. The biggest part of Borneo is called Kalimantan. This is the Indonesian part. In the south and in the north, it's Malaysia and Brunei. So I lived in central Kalimantan in the middle of the island. And um, in the 1950s, this was uh, occupied by rainforests and only a few people. So this has changed due to migration. So more and more people came from other islands in Indonesia. And um, yeah, after World War II, there was a big need for um, timber. The Indonesian government handed out concessions to work on forests and um, Actually, the regulations are good. You could only cut trees bigger than 50 centimeters. So if you would do it sustainably to do a forest management, then it's good. But if you overdo, then it's bad. And mainly it's uh, in three waves. Forest destruction happens in three waves. The first is the forest concession. And then you get in with trucks. Then you have the roads inside it. And then... Um, there's a second wave of then, let's say, informal tree cutting, the bigger sizes, and then 
the third wave is uh, very often complete land clearing for agricultural purposes. And this was then in the late 90s, the palm oil business started. So nowadays it's not any longer the problem is forestry, it's the palm oil. And for me, the biggest eye-opening was that to see that the EU invented or the EU said we want to mix oil from palm oil into our um, into our system for the, our cars, you know, into our fuel, and then the forest destruction began after we have set in the EU these fuel regulations with uh, natural oil within the fuel. So this A10 and A5. So it was us from the EU uh, creating that market to move rainforest into oil palms. So it's, it, it was us uh, creating that demand. Wow. And I th you've started to already shed light on some of the problems that, um, that you encountered in, in Borneo. And one thing that I find very interesting in your story is that you left Borneo at some point um, before you started Trio. And so what, what led you to leave Bonio and what led you to eventually start Trio? So, yeah, the contract was finished then in Bonio. It was a five-year contract. Then I moved uh, to the capital um, of Indonesia. So I was then working for a foundation from Switzerland in Indonesia. Then I came back to, to my home country. And actually, we started that time then a non-profit unit and do tree planting in Borneo. This was then my wish after I came back. The friends in Kalimantan in Borneo said, you should come back and we should do tree planting. And then I collected some money. It was a non-profit, collected some money and went back to do tree planting. And uh, this was then the Fair Ventures Worldwide. It's a limited company according to German law, but a non-profit limited company. And luckily, we found some donators. We found public money in order to do tree planting in Borneo. Yeah, we started tree planting, but we did the monitoring on the paper. And um, actually, we did tree planting. And then I sent a, a forester to the tree planting sites. And the first year, we planted about 70,000 trees. And then I sent a forester from Switzerland there to count the trees. And then one day I got a call, three weeks later, I got a call from him. He said, hey, Johannes, uh, there are only 22,000 trees. Wow. Uh, so then I, I said, yeah, where, where is the rest? I don't know. So and then we started <laughs> digging deeper. And the second year, it was similar. It was below 50%. And it became clear to me we have to monitor better than it's being done in, in, in the past. And there, it was clear to me, if we want to bring trust in tree planting, then we have to do a full census and not just a sampling monitoring. So the single tree monitoring method was born. And uh, this is what we do with a TRIO, a technology to monitor single trees in order to have a full trust and a full census that we see how many trees are planted and how much carbon they store. I have a question. Johannes, um, we've just had the worst wildfire season that we've ever had in Canada. One of the conversations that has been happening is about how densely the forests have been planted. And, um, and they're saying that natural forests are more sparse, which uh, means there's less brush to burn. And I just wondered about, about that about when you're planting 
um, how do you manage that for future forests and and such? Yeah, so you speak about the management scheme or the forest uh, cultivation, and um, it's definitely the most important thing is that we plant with indigenous trees or with uh, trees coming from that area, and then it shouldn't be a monoculture. And this is what we see even in Germany, in, in our country. So we have had the first forest fires. If you plant spruce on sites where there are maybe oaks, the local tree species, then uh, it's easier to burn. But yeah, we will have forest fires as well, even in, in, in that kind of forest. But yes, in the rainforest, the natural rainforest is much more resilient to forest fires, to floods and so on. So um, it shouldn't be a monoculture setting. And yeah, so these forest fires we see, it's an increasing temperature, less rain, and then the resilience of these forests are not good enough. And I heard there are recent estimations from these forest fires in Canada that it's an enormous amount of greenhouse gases were, were emitted through that forest fire. And I ask myself, does it make sense to plant trees on the other side uh, where we have the forest fires? And I say, yes, it makes sense. And um, we don't stop. It's a drop. I know that what we do, it's a small drop, but we do it. Yeah. And we don't stop. Yeah. I would like to go back to the tree monitoring. That's a very challenging part because uh, we know that tree planting is important but then by the time the uh, common capture potential reaches its maximum it should probably take i don't know i'm not a specialist but probably 10 20 years and as you said oh well you think you've planted 70,000 trees and then and then there's half of it is gone so what's the solution how do you monitor it how do you, what's a, so you're talking about technical solutions. So can you give us a little bit more details about this technical solution? Yes, sure. So we started uh, tree monitoring, not for carbon estimation purpose. This was just for our donors. So we promised them, you give us a euro or five euros a tree, and then we plant a tree. And we're not planting by ourselves, but our, our partners plant a tree, and uh, then we the tree is there. So our donors, they expect that the tree is there, they have paid. So we are responsible as a non-profit that the tree is theirs. And we speak about a nature-based solution and we speak about nature. So it's normal that trees disappear. If you go to the forest just surrounding you, you see small trees planted, you will find not all of them survive. There are floods, there are rainfall, there is a dry season. So it's normal that um, you what you plant, you don't go to 100%. But this is what, what we need to be transparent. And our donors that time said, yeah, just report us back how much trees these are. It's not so important that this is 100% fulfilled. So then you overplant and then you can say we have a 50% survival rate or 80 or 90% survival rate. So it was more about that. And... We started really sending out foresters with sheets and papers, and then we, they they get brought it back to the to the office, and the other people sat for two months just to put the data into the computer. So after the third year, then we said we need a digital solution, and um, then we started with making just a photo of each and every single tree, and then we have the GIS point. 
So the technology nowadays looks like this. So you can you download an app on the Google Play Store and then you just make a photo of each and every, the farmer goes through the field and makes a photo of each and every single tree. And with our AI-based allometric formulas, so we then can nowadays calculate the carbon stored in each and every single tree. So the exact amount of the of the carbon and what we do as Trio at the moment, this increment of biomass is being paid. So we have uh, people who want to pay tree planting, so they pay the farmer on their mobile phone the increment of of, of biomass, the delta, who is more compared to last year on the mobile phone of the of the farmer. And we check with satellites, we verify with satellites if the trees are there. So this is the principle of the, it, it, it's much more complicated, but the, the principle of the, of, of the tree monitoring nowadays. So with the calculation of the carbon in the tree stored. Well, that's just incredible. <clears throat> if I may ask a follow-up question on that, when you, for many of these tree plantings, as they mature, as we were just discussing, not all of them survive, right? Some of them have to come out so that the, the trees can continue growing in their canopy size, and you have to thin it out to let them keep successfully growing. Is there a methodology in the app that takes into account you had planted trees at a thousand uh, hectare, and now they've reached 10 years of maturity. So now we will cut out 200 of those and make it 800 trees per hectare because that's the right management strategy for the trees. Is that, how did, how's that taken into account then on the app where now instead of 800 trees, there are now, or sorry, instead of a thousand trees, there are now 800 trees, but that is the right decision. Yeah, that's a very good question. So, um, we do thinning, so the tree grows well if the crown has enough space and the light comes in. So as soon as the ground gets under stress, so the tree grows, the ground is growing, then you start thinning. So, and this is, um, to explain to the people, it's a bit difficult. If you tell them, cut out, thin some trees, then you get a better yield. They say, hey, why I cut out? I want to have more trees. <laughs> they produce more wood. No, it's not like that. If you then take out uh, some trees, then you get more wood. So we have to work on a plot. So the ultimate measure is a plot. Let's take a hectare and we plant at the beginning with a spacing three by three. And then you have about uh, a thousand trees per hectare. And then after two years, after three years, where you, the, the growth, uh, crowns um, touch then you take out the small trees and you do this twice or three times and you end up then with about let's say 300 trees per hectare and then you do the harvesting depending on the tree size depending on agroforestry and between the tree lines actually you can do your agricultural things if you don't use like for example eucalyptus yeah there are a lot of trees who are um, allowing doing agroforestry. Agro so between the lines, you you plant food. So it's not competition. You can manage a forest, uh, agroforest, not in competition to food. And this is the most important thing, I think. So both on the same plot, same plot is is possible. So yes, Trio goes on the 
has a, 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 a blot. You go around your field, then it's the blot, and then you see how you do the thinnings, and it's natural thinning as well. Uh, some of the trees will die, and then it's a natural thin thinning. So yes, this we can take into account in the app. And it's not only an app, actually, it's then an, uh, a back-end. All the trees are on uh, on our Trio Cloud. And then you find the trees on the back-end and you can manage the forest with the back-end. That's wonderful. And do you monitor what, for the thinned trees, do you monitor what happens to those the trees that are thinned out or, or what, the, what, they, what they're used for? So... At the moment, the technology is only able, what we have at the moment is just for the growing trees. Um, and we have developed a standard, the pre-release is out, so we will have a certified product in uh, November this year. And uh, we start working on a so-called material standard. So it's extremely crucial what happens with the biomass. Uh, and how much of the sea stored in a tree coming from the atmosphere goes back to the atmosphere. So we need to work on that figure. So yes, we have to see what happens with the uh, with the pruning and with the thinning of the biomass. And the ideal case would be transforming the thin trees, for example, into biochar and put it back into the soil. And then uh, the emissions, if you just put the thin trees on the floor, on the soil, then uh, the sea content of the thin trees goes back to the atmosphere. So to keep this carbon store then in the soil. So this is then the material standard where we go down. And even after harvesting, so it's very clear when we harvest the tree, we want to have most of the carbon stored in the tree being a beam and then store it in a timber construction building for another 100 years. So then we have a raw material for the circular economy. This sounds fantastic. Uh, I have a question just clarifying. Uh, as I understood, the farmers have uh, rewards for each tree that would survive a certain time. And the other question I have, do they have freedom to plant whatever they want between the trees? Yes, they have the freedom. So we adjust our technology to the needs of the farmer. So we don't tell them what the management system looks like. And we don't own the trees. We only get the right for the carbon. They're owning the trees. They're owning the food. They're owning the land. We don't own the land. It's not our land. So it's the farmer's land. So it's them to decide. We have certain standards. For example, we don't allow eucalyptus to go into the system at the moment, at least, because I think eucalyptus does not need us. Eucalyptus grows by itself and it has certain negative effects. Um, so this is what we decided, for example, or we say at least two or three different tree species on one hectare. So this is what we give. We have certain minimum criteria. And they get more money if they, for example, plant 10 different tree species compared to three different tree species. So we, we can steer how much money we pay to them based on the biodiversity criteria. So, so do you also educate them about the different species and what grows together well and all that stuff? Yes. So there's maybe one thing I have to explain how we go for scale. 
I didn't talk about this. So Trio is not reaching out to farmers directly. So Trio is somehow a franchise scheme where all tree planting initiatives can plug in. So we have tree plantings initiatives in Indonesia and Uganda on this and that island who work with farmers and they educate the farmers. They use the technology, they get the prepayment from us and give us the monitoring data. So it's somehow like a franchise scheme where you can utilize to your technology and the trio standard in order to plant trees and earn income. So this is how we go for scale. At the moment, only for tree planting initiatives in Germany, Indonesia, and Uganda, but our intention is to open this globally. So it's a franchising scheme where these tree planting initiatives reach out to farmers and educate them. So it could yes. be in the US as well. <laughs> <laughs> Would be nice. <laughs> we have a big tree farm, Johannes, on my family farm, and we are about to embark soon on planting. Uh, I don't know it in hectares, but 60 to 70 acres um, of trees. And we have another 100 plus uh, of, you know, 35-year-old, pretty, pretty large stuff. But I'm excited to explore the technology to measuring how much carbon we're sequestering with the already grown forest. We just did our first... Uh, <clears throat> what is termed a pre-commercial thinning a little while ago and did some of the same thinning. Um, and I'm curious to see that that growth rate as derived from your AI-powered algorithms. Yeah, you could utilize, you need a card. There is a card from Trio. This is what you need. And then you can download it. So at the moment, everyone can do tree measurements and uh, we haven't set, and there is maybe one, one thing I have to mention. So tree species are differently growing in different countries and we have different tree species in the US compared to Brazil. So it's a bit of work to calibrate and this app and all the stuff behind to a certain country and it's about climate regulations. Therefore, it's a bit of work. So you can use the app, um, everyone can use the app to measure the tree diameter and certain species are in there but uh, actually then we have to open, if you're in the US, we would have to open just certain tree species. So it's full running in Uganda and Indonesia and in other countries, so it's still just a trial. So if you then really go for commercial, then we would need to make a deal and then say, let's open these things in the US and uh, let's work on the US species and all that things and then microclimates then open it. So it's a bit of work uh, to, to set up uh, a country office and then uh, the running scheme for a country. Okay, well, we'll talk offline and, uh, and explore. Definitely. Yes, we should. We should. Would be great. Because I, I would wager we raise Douglas fir trees, and I would wager those are not in Uganda. No, they are not in Uganda, but they are coming a lot in Germany, the Douglas fir because they are drought resistant. So the Douglas fir is replacing our spruce a lot. So um, yeah, these kind of things. So these allometric formulas, we would then need to plug into the system and then make it available for microsites because it depends on the, on the microsites as well, the growth rates. Um, I understand that the farmers will, farmers like Brian potentially could get payment from planting trees. Right, because you mentioned prepayment earlier. Well, yes, 
How yes. so this is great because uh farmers get financial incentive directly through your app or platform or your company organization. How does it work? Because um you talk about prepayment. That's fantastic. Yeah, so in the tropics in poor countries, afforestation will only happen if someone puts money on the table. Nobody or not nobody, but not a lot of people can afford to invest today and wait for 10 years to get a harvest. It's really unbelievable to see, but in Indonesia, you can harvest a tree after 10 years with a diameter of 40 centimeters, where in the US, it would take maybe 50 years, 60 years. So it's growing incredibly fast. So we have about a five times growth rate. And on the other hand, it's cheaper. You know, man, manpower is cheaper in such countries. So it makes sense to do tree planting in the tropics where you have rain all year long. But if there is no prepayment, this is not possible. So how to make now a farmer who has a hectare, um, how, how, how we enable him to plant trees, uh, is on the one hand that we say you don't lose the full hectare, you just lose some rows. You can do your, your, your food crops in between the lines and you get a certain prepayment for the trees uh, you plant in rows between your food crops. And um, actually our tree planting partners, they pre-finance the seedling, they do the training, they look for the eligibility of the project sites. And then after the farmer is doing, the farmer is then doing a picture of each tree and then he gets this carbon stored in the tree on his mobile phone. So this is the idea. And then if this really works fully automated, it will completely change the world because 500 million farmers could then start tree planting on their one hectare and we would have uh, stored five gigatons a year. And, and, and that is going to bring me to something that you said in your video at a TEDx event. And according to you, there, there are 900 million hectares of land available to plant trees which is very much enough to capture one-third of all co2 um, and so my first question would be how much of that have we used um, and because you know you were just talking about this technology and it seems like well this can scale and become the reason we would probably use it, the bigger part of the 900 million hectares available but how much of that have we used? And, um, you know, aside this technology, maybe you can go a little deeper into it. What, how can we make sure that all of the land is used to plant trees? So this 900 million hectares, this is a study from the ETH from Switzerland for, by Bastin. So this was published in, I think, in 2018. So it got a lot of um, publicity. Maybe it's a bit too high, mm -hmm. uh, but even the Bond Challenge, which is an, in, an international initiative by the IUCN, uh, they speak, uh, they want to replant or restore 350 million hectares. And there are other initiatives. Yeah? So there is a lot of land available, which is fellow land. So it's about restoration and it's about fellow land. So, for example, in Uganda, you have 7 million hectares, which is fellow land, which could be replanted and restored. 
and in other countries as well. So nobody uses that land or it's extremely minimalistically being used. In our case, it's just a, a small drop. It's We started small. So we the spin-off was created uh, one and a half years ago, TRIO. So we have started at the beginning of this year with the first 120 hectares. We are now doing 1,000 hectares and we want to do 100,000 hectares in five years' time. So it's still very small if you look, uh, especially if you look to the US or to Canada, so where we have very big, even Indonesia, the Amazon. But um, if this functions on a small scale and if the technology is then settled, then we can really, this can really spread around the world. And then it's not any longer carbon project, it's really tree planting. Everyone could then get engaged with a farmer, giving him the money to plant the trees and he gets and she gets the data back. This is my vision and this is our vision. We just need to check, and this is very important, that the people who plant trees don't cut down rainforests and then plant trees to get money. Yeah. So there are certain criteria. You have to check with satellites, how, how is the historical thing of, of that. So the, it's, it's, is the land ownership clear? Does the government allow to plant this tree? Is then the tree use it's guaranteed for that tree? Does it make sense to plant that tree? There is a, a bit of a bit of thought behind it. It, it sounds easy, but it's it's a lot of stuff behind, and it's about the carbon regulations and wow. so on. That's incredible, and I'm definitely sold on that because um, one of the things that we talk about a lot on carbon sessions is how we can have not just personal impacts but systemic impact and this looks like one huge revolutionary stuff that can entirely change the system so we're in <laughs> <laughs> this is good yeah you honestly i may ask a follow-up question one of the things that was striking to me about your commentary a few minutes ago about helping convert fallow land is um, and for some of our team, Carbon Sessions team here, they may recall a, a pod, a recording we did with someone uh, with a, a goat uh, rancher um, in yes. Tasmania. Kate, I think yes. Tasmania, who had done a lot of research on the the uh, ability for carbon sequestration in even just grass and soil if it hasn't been dried out and, and went fallow. And it was impressive amounts of carbon that was being sequestered into their soil. And they did tests over many years with a local university and explored this from a soil science perspective. And it was an impressive amount of carbon they were able to sequester in healthy, uh, you know, grass and low shrub type things, in part because they, you know, they were doing some other things to take care of it and convert it from just being sort of more dry, packed earth, what we would call fallow, into that. And I wonder, that feels like maybe in addition to the trees, it feels like from some of what you've described with these, these uh, farmers, in addition to the tree carbon sequestration, maybe this fallow land conversion is also achieving an unmeasured carbon sequestration. Yeah, you're speaking about uh, soil carbon and this is a rather new topic. And um, 
it's very clear that you that with with this biomass and and photosynthesis even for grass so then carbon goes into the soil so this organic biomass carbon is then transformed into soil carbon soil organic carbon and this is a very very important and a future thing so agriculture can help to remove a lot of carbon so what i have in mind figures from one to two tons per hectare per year uh, this is what we're discussing in germany if you're an organic farmer if you really work with organic um, matter and put it into the soil so this is then an additional removal of uh, one or two tons per hectare per year so um, this is very important and if we speak about forests and restoration we target firstly ex-forest land so there is a scientific discussion that for example the savannah the savannah has its function itself it shouldn't be the first target to be reforested so we should look where have been forests in the past uh, degraded forests and this forest we restore before we go then to other areas so therefore these 900 hectares might be a bit too high there had been a scientific discussion where they say, hey, you can't transform grassland into uh, forests. Uh, so therefore, from this 900, go down a bit. Um, and this, um, we start on ex-forest land and rebuild forests. So this would be the first measure. And in our case, we don't measure yet the soil organic carbon. But this is an additional uh, benefit, yes, if you go for forests, if you let a certain biomass like the leaves and the small branches uh, put in on, on the soil, then they can transform into soil carbon. So these are the mechanisms. It's a complex thing. So you have to start with um, simple things and then you move from there. So there's a lot of additional potential. And maybe let me say one word to agriculture. So if we do measure, if we measure and this is the future our existing certificates they can't and therefore the existing offsetting is so under pressure and from my point of view the traditional offset voluntary carbon market offsets will disappear i'm very sure uh, we will not see them any longer they might so we will have climate projects but it's not an offsetting project what will survive is the room uh, what uh, will be surviving is the removals but we have to detect the emissions occurring while doing the removals for example if you plant trees you use a lot of synthetic fertilizer one ton no a hundred kilogram of synthetic fertilizer has a footprint of one ton of co2 so it might happen like for palm oil you use palm oil for fuel but you use more the footprint of the synthetic fertilizer might be bigger because it's produced from gas then you save them in the fuel in the cars. So this stupid thing we have to, to, to skip and uh, our, our regulation, we have to detect um, the emissions then by the machines, by fertilizers, and we can, we can uh, add, for example, soil carbon and that kind of things. So we are at the beginning of a completely new uh, calculation where we have to calculate the net removals and the same thing is with the machines if you build a machine you should look how much energy they consume and then come to a net figure biochar so all that thing so there is a completely new uh, science uh, coming up at the moment 
I I have a follow up question to what you just said. As you said, it's the principle is very simple, but the mechanism is very complex because there's biology, there's money, there's a lot of different things involved, and so I'm just wondering how the how this whole thing is regulated. Is there a central regulation body for the for this type of market? Or certification, or whatever. No. No. Yeah, the carbon removal market is not yet regulated, and uh, the offset market, the traditional offset market uh, mm-hmm. invented by Kyoto or, or started by the Kyoto Protocol, should have been revised by Paris. So in Paris, uh, they got the the task to uh, to rewrite the the offset uh, things offset markets uh, because all the countries are now, not all, but many countries are now confused into how you deal between the nations and uh, Glasgow couldn't fix. We expected okay. uh, that in Glasgow. So um, this is not yet fixed, even the voluntary carbon market. And yeah, you say you offset with avoidance certificates. And this is the biggest mistake from my point of view. If you put a ton of CO2 into the atmosphere, you can't balance it with another avoidance you have to reduce and this is the first thing you reduce and the rest you can remove then so it's like Mm. rubbish if i open my window i put out the the rubbish of my car window and i help someone else in in another country not put rubbish or 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 so no i stop putting rubbish out and if i have rubbish i put it in the right place and i remove it so this is the removal, and if we speak about the removal, it's then about a net figure, not just this machine produces uh, a ton of CO2 uh, of, of removals, or this electric car uh, doesn't need the, the regulations. I don't know in the States, in Europe, from day one, an electric car is, is, is a carbon neutral yeah. car. It's not the reality. Yeah? You have to drive 50,000 kilometers. You have to produce the car, the battery. Uh, and and this you have to detect. So there we need much more clarity and transparency. So this will completely change. So um, this regulation, the EU is working on a framework. Certifications, uh, like Gold Standard, they try to come up with removals, but we decided to go with someone new. So we have now a standard set with a, an organization from Switzerland, Carbon Standard International. They have a CCNG register. So we do collaborate with them. That is very interesting because um, it gives room for a lot of greenwashing. And I think that's what you're doing, giving more transparency to uh, to companies and um, and farmers is, uh, is a great way to... Our, our clients, our organization who give us money, they don't claim climate neutrality with that. They say this is our first step learning towards the future we we are, we know that we will not be able to reduce to zero but our full engagement goes into reduction but we try out now with removing and they build up a portfolio they might buy some removals from machines and we want to become the best standard for nature-based removals from tree planting because we go with the full census and not with a sampling and uh Every once a year, we get the full data. Wow, that's incredible. Um, 
one of the things that you and and just to just to jump on what you've just said i think that a lot of companies can learn from you know your approach to to this is such a purposeful approach driven by the results and not just the act or you know the greenwashing side of things and i think that's incredible uh, one of the things that you spoke about in in a video of you that I saw was you talked about like the value chain of tree growing. Um, I, I wish you talk a bit more about that, but also perhaps the part that I'm really looking forward to get to is where you talked about navigating investments with real social and environmental impact. You know, um, because there's like you know, we look at it like this is charity or some kind of non-profit cause, you know, but the way you spoke about it, you talked about a whole, ple- like a plethora of possibilities that that works as far as business is concerned, that this is not just, you know, saving the planet, that this is, there, there can be sustainable ways to grow money and grow resources and establish, you know, systems and people and things. And so, um would you would you like to talk about that a little bit okay let's start with the last topic so this was the reason why i left the non-profit um, organization and we said let's spin off a normal limited company with investment money because we saw with donations only we can't go for scale um, donations and public money are good to do pilots and then you always, as a non-profit person, you always wait somebody else taking over that solutions and nobody comes and takes it over. So it was clear to me, I have to leave and I have to spin off and I have to try it by myself because nobody came to pick this uh, brain and to pick this solution. So, yeah, so, and we had been lucky. So we got some investors who believe in that. And um, this is somehow impact investments from business angels. And now we are looking for the second round. So we want to scale a trio and we are now opening our Series A uh, fundraising. So we look for institutional impact investors. And it's a good business. They get back their money and the farmers get their money. Environmental is, uh, the environment is protected. So it's impact investing. Speaking about the wood value chain, um, in future you will see, I'm very sure, a carbon market who deals with two different things. It's not one certificate. The one is the capture function of the removal and the one is the storage function of the removal. So and each and every single removal will have a time tag on it because it's not for the entire, entirely, maybe not entirely removed. So um, there is a time span and a ticket on each and every removal and it's split into two things, capture and uh, storage. For example, if we speak about biochar, biochar is only a storage function. The capture comes from the biomass from the tree, for example, or the straw. And uh, the same is with machines. You capture with filters and then where do I put the carbon to store? Below ground or whatever. So it's always these two components. And for how long this carbon will be stored away? And this is the biggest question what we have now with the timber or with tree growing, and the biggest criticism, and we see it in Canada, you mentioned, Jen, so there might be forest fires, there might be floods, 
So the first thing is that we have to do accurate uh, protection and we have to open a safety buffer. We know it's a nature-based solution, so we have to put some trees into a safety buffer and this must be a dynamic safety buffer. So we start with 20 to 25% overplanting, only selling then, let's say we plant 120 and we sell only 100. So if there is a loss, then you can pick it out there and you don't plant everything on the same plot you you distribute in different countries different areas so but then what happens with the carbon captured in that biomass biomass the, the um this is then the so-called durability or the permanence of the carbon storage so it we have to go down the value chain with the timber and see how much of this timber is stored in construction for a another 50 years or 100 years what happens after that 100 years so we have done the timber mass flow and uh, we were shocked to see the figure if you measure the carbon content of a tree and then you harvest only about 10 to 15 percent can be stored in timber construction why so because you have the root, for example, the root stays in the forest. You can't utilize the root. Then you cut the, all the branches. You only have the stem. And then you put it into a sawmill. You have the sawdust and all that leftovers. You put it into the blender, make a glue line beam. So finally, from carbon stored in the tree, only 15, 10 to 15% can go into timber construction. So what do we do with the rest? Transforming into biochar, for example. There you have a lot of emissions. Better would be, much better would be. And Brian is an expert on that. So the leftovers we should utilize, for example, for insulation from wood. You just press it to pack it and then you use it as insulation. Then you can store it in the timber building as well. So this would be even better than producing biochar where you have a lot of emissions. So that kind of things. Yes, we have to go down the value chain and then we have um, an answer to this durability question. And Johannes, if I, if I may ask a possibly leading question, different tree species might have different figures for the amount of carbon sequestration into construction based on the nature of how, how they grow. Yes. So this is um, about 50% of the dry weight of a tree is C. Yeah, the the trees captures via the photosynthesis captures the CO2 and the O2 goes back to the atmosphere. So the C stays in the tree with the H2O, with the water, then is being bind. So then you have to see, so about 50%, just you just put dry timber on a balance, depending on the tree species for sure, on a balance. And we know this exactly. And then you know how much C, C is stored. In the tree, and then you can convert C to CO2 is 3.67. Um, then you can convert how much is uh, CO2 is being stored or is being, let's say, removed from the atmosphere. So yeah, so uh, it's about the weight. It's about the tree species. So each allometric formula depends on the tree species, and we have different allometric formulas. Yes, but this we can exactly if we know the the the, the volume of a tree, then we can exactly say. It's this and that amount of carbon. So impressive. We have now the app. We have the back end. What we don't have is the automated satellite verification thing. So we're looking for fundraising now. 
to automate it to do automated pre-checks so that we can do automated eligibility checks before the farmer can enter the program is the land eligible and then automated uh, tree monitoring from above or not the monitoring the monitoring we think satellite is not enough the farmer should hug the tree once a year he should go around and look to the health of a tree and make a photo so it's good to have and then to see why is this tree growing good this is not growing good and then we check but we, we validate with the satellite are the trees there so this uh, tree automation and we haven't done the payment system to the mobile phone of the farmer this is something we have to work on we have to work on carbon regulations we have to talk to the governments like we do in uganda uh, this might be a monitoring system for the whole country where they report with our technology to the unfccc to the united nations framework for climate change convention and that kind of things and then sure we have to work on education we have to work on collecting allometric formulas um, and that kind of thing so we want to grow with the next step to new countries and uh, technology this is the main thing johannes is the tree monitoring done you said i think earlier using satellite imagery is that or are you using plane airplane no sorry sorry um the tree monitoring is being done by the farm of doing a photo of the stem and we validate from above with satellite with pictures. satellite that's what i meant is the above is satellite not airplane yeah. imagery and then is yeah the... you should do it with drones at the moment the satellite sometimes you have a lot of clouds in countries mm -hmm. especially like uh, indonesia so it's not so easy um, but yeah the future will bring us the satellites because drone flying is a bit too expensive so from a business case uh, we work on satellite image we have to to because on the long term you can't fly with the drones once a year yeah. and that and the technology you want to build is is some type of algorithm to ingest that image and help output a is this forest still growing is it healthy is that that's the goal is to, a technology enabled processing of the visual image yes automated okay so that we can go with zero mainly zero costs then and then we can really and this is maybe one thing i forgot to mention there is a study out there who says 90 percent of the carbon money in forestry doesn't go to the farmer only 10 percent go to the farmer at the moment so only a little bit so all the money stays with the certificates with the consultants with the standards with all that uh, pdd things and so on and um, in our case we have the um, we want to give the farmer 80 percent um, so we want to turn it around the 80 20 rule from 20 mm -hmm. to 80 to 80 to 20 so that yeah. the money goes to the farmer and so you need to reduce the cost for maintenance to as low as possible well, yes and it's not any longer a carbon project it's then a carbon product mm -hmm. So, and our technology will be accredited and checked, but there is nobody, nobody needs to fly to each project and look uh, with the airplane, a consultant uh, once a year and so on. So they look into the system. Okay. They pre-check certain things. Uh, and, but then the system is accredited. And so the costs are going down. Well, 
Uh, I'm excited to chat after our podcast. I worked on aerial image ingesting for a big timber company called Boise Cascade for a number of years. Oh, wow. <laughs> so let's talk. Yeah, let's talk. You have to talk with my colleague then yeah. because I'm not a technology person. I have the luck that I have a co-founder mm -hmm. who is really coming from that area. So he's a software engineer. Okay, I'm excited. And he has a lot of experience in that. So he's doing our technological thing. That's wonderful. And there's there's many amazing technologies that have come out that are are ingesting this information from visual imagery and outputting conclusions. Um, it's really impressive technology these yeah, days. Yeah, I think I I agree with you. So if we look a bit further down the road, these things will be possible. Maybe nowadays it's still a bit difficult. But it's coming. Uh, farmers use use OS telephones and so on. But if you go two, three years further down the road, then this will be possible. I'm very sure. So let's prepare for that. Johannes, I'm very impressed by your attitude, your approach, because, uh, wow, you know, you started as a carpenter. So you started working with wood, then plant trees, then you have a technology company. And then now you are, and I don't know, lobbying or working with regulations. So this is really, really, really impressive. And I like your optimism, you know, there's a problem. So how can we find a solution? And I think we need more people and more projects like this. So, wow. And I'm very glad that we're having this conversation because uh, I don't know if you know, but Johannes works with my sister. Actually, one of my sisters works with Johannes. So I'm very glad that we're having this conversation. <laughs> um, any final words, Johannes? Yes, there is a final word what you touched. So like you are doing. So in Germany, we have now activists who just sit on the roads and block the roads because they are so frustrated and nothing moves. And I think there are so many things to be done. So just average people like me. Um, so we go out, we think, and we keep on going. And yes, it's a very big thing. It's so complex. Uh, but let's start with the things which, which are possible yeah? and don't don't think too much about the complexity. If not, you will not start. And uh, we start, and it's not yourself. It's a big team. It's investors. You need money. You need clients. You need employees. You need friends. You need to enga get engaged, and you need people like you, this podcast, so who spread the word. And, um, yeah, we can do something, and it's not too late. Like, like you, like you uh, put it on your on your podcast. But we have to do it, and that's beautiful. We need to be optimistic, and we are optimistic, and there is hope. So this is um, always, and we go further and further, and we don't. Uh, yeah, we stand our ground and go further. Fantastic! Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise. <laughs> Thank you. Love that. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure being with you. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network, 
For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of The Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.